let's have two brief readings together from Scripture. This is, a, this is an opportunity that is one of many ways that seems to me like sometimes there's kind of a, there's a, an open door for us of understanding that comes when we hear things that are really drastically out of the orbit that most of us live in. I'm sure for most everyone, anybody paying attention to news right now, of course, um, the, the hot topic on, on all conversations is the elections in America, and certainly that's in our prayers, and we should all be praying all through this week for all of these challenging times and praying for people that will be elected to really be men and women who humble themselves under the mighty hand of God. That's a generally good way to pray for anyone elected to public office and pray that this election season is a time that uh, helps to sharpen the focus upon the real gift of liberty in our country. But I say that, that's the hot topic, but a topic that we don't hear much about are those who are suffering for Jesus. So we join up with believers across America, across the world, and we join with the um, Voice of the Martyrs out of Oklahoma that sponsors and has developed this wonderful way through their magazines and their publications to keep people apprised of something none of us would see. But I'd like to ask you to read two sections of Scripture. Turn in your Bible in the uh, Pew Bibles, page 1381, a, a, a brief section here that gives us a little biblical perspective. And before our kids go to their classes, these are heavy-duty verses to be sure, but children, all of us, adults and children, need to hear the mighty force of God's Word coming into our world. Sometimes it has to be like a thunderclap of abrupt truth that awakens us to something we don't think about or our minds don't naturally go there. And I read on page 1381, the chapter is the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And would you find the 32nd verse on page 1381 and read with me verses 32 through 36. And let's just remain seated, but read aloud together. And then we'll stand for the second reading. Verse 32 to 36 of Hebrews 10. Would you read with me now? But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, you endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains, and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore, do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. I'm struck today that when we watch this brief video, if you would take your finger and go back to that 33rd verse, the end of that 33rd verse, that it gives us a brief opportunity to do what the text says, to become companions of those who were so treated. And then turn in your Bible to page 1419, page 1419, and that's Revelation, that's the 15th chapter of the book of Revelation, and we'll read together verses 3 through 4. 
This is the song that is heard in heaven of those who have triumphed by loving God in the midst of what would seem to us humanly unimaginable suffering. And it's there in the Bible partly to remind us of the triumphant, powerful conquest that resounds in all of eternity for those who've had to endure enormous suffering in this life for the name of the Lord. Would you stand with me and read? um, Actually, we'll read it verse 2, verses 2 through 4 of Revelation 15, verses 2 through 4. Read them aloud together as we thank God for the conquest of our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Verse 2, And I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, And those who have the victory over the beast, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of God, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, For all nations shall come and worship before you. Your judgments have been manifested. Here we find, again, that note of triumph. We're going to see a brief video about Rebecca in Nigeria. Would you be seated? This is an area of the world that is one of many hotspots, of course, but one in which ongoing prayer for our brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria is one of the ways we can be companions of those so treated. My name is Rebecca. I live in the north of Nigeria. One evening I was out with my daughter and on our way home we saw smoke rising above our village. We were under attack. There was nothing we could do to defend ourselves. My husband and I were married in that village. My wedding day, it was the happiest day of my life. Some members of our church gave us a wedding gift. It was a Bible. We read it together every day. children were old enough, we read it to them and their friends. Let the little children come to me. Let the little children come to me. And do not forbid them. And do not forbid them. For such is the kingdom of heaven. 
Matthew chapter 19, verse 14. On the day our village burnt to the ground, my husband and my son were killed in the attack. I was devastated. I mourned for many months. Some of us were able to return to our village to reclaim anything that was left. Genesis and Revelation were burnt, but the rest was mostly intact. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like a wild flower. The grass withers, and the flower falls off but the word of the Lord endures forever. this Bible. It reminds me of God's faithfulness. Naked I came from my mother's womb, but naked I shall return there. The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord is a husband to all widows. I look to him for every need. This is what I am still holding on to.
Amen. The earth, amen, the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. An eternal vision keeps suffering saints anchored in that solid rock. And just as that scripture we read says that we're companions with those who suffer, we never see a video like this or hear a story like it that deep inside something isn't jarred. That we question, what would I do? How would I handle this? So I always think it's a prime moment to pray in solidarity. Would you pray with us? Oh Lord God, we thank you today, Jesus, that, that when the Lord Jesus gave us that eternal anchor of hope in your resurrection, that you spoke to your disciples about facing the imaginable as well as the unimaginable. And Lord, for our suffering friends, our suffering brothers and sisters in Christ, such as Rebecca and the multiplied hundreds of thousands of lives that are impacted by oppressive harassment and, and persecution and terrorism, not only in Nigeria, but in countless nations around the world, under oppressive, tyrannical regimes such as the Iranians, so many believers in Iran seeking to, seeking even to hold their Bibles with freedom and to proclaim the truth of the gospel across China, North Korea, in the Sudan, now in many, even in parts of Brazil. Lord, we come and pray for these and so many others beyond our orbit that we could understand what it is to take to heart the words of Jesus. Blessed are you when men shall say evil against you and persecute you for my name's sake, for great is your reward in heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hid. Lord, we know our inadequacy and our limits of understanding. We pray in the name of Jesus for great resources to be multiplied. Lord, for Voice of Martyrs, for their Bible project, to get the Word of God in the hands of people in places of distress and duress and persecution and imprisonment. Lord, give us in this place, in our place, a fresh appreciation for the accessibility of our Bibles. The simple fact that we hold our Bibles and open our Bibles in freedom without fear of reprisal. And may that spur us today to know what it is to invest ourselves, to give of ourselves in blessing those around us with faith and with your truth and investing in those ministries that touch the lives of these. In Jesus' name, we thank you for it. And we ask you, Lord, to bless those who serve these in places of suffering. Bless the ministries of Voice of the Martyrs. Bless the ministries of Samaritan's Purse. Bless the ministries that go into regions where they themselves face great hazards in order to assist and be the companions of those who face this suffering. And Lord, thank you today as boys and girls learn about your kingdom 
as we embrace even that triumphant truth in the book of Revelation in the final section of Gospel Project that all the kids will know what a joy and what an honor it is to be entrusted with this priceless treasure of the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, we can have our Explorers and Pathfinders class now go, and uh, I want to thank everybody who's helped on the uh, Mission Renewal Project for, uh, for Challenge Farm, um, now with about just under $1,500 that came in for supporting the, uh, the purchasing of the bags of corn for Challenge Farms. We praise God for that. Yes, Lou. Yes, please. Stand, remain standing if you don't mind, Brother Lou, and let's. Um, and uh, I want to ha- ask our brothers to stand and lead us in prayer. In fact, um, uh, as we let's just all stand just for a moment. Let's pray for Tokes right now. And what a, what an opportunity! You know, it strikes me these are times that we see in a new way how vital every gathering of the saints is because we truly do find strength in knowing that God gives each of us a part to play in praying for the body of Christ. And Jim, would you lead us in prayer for for Brother Tokes now and and wherever he is? Thank you. Amen. 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 And then just before we're seated, I want to ask you, uh, David, David, would you lead us in prayer for the country today in this election season? Just, Just lift up the nation today, would you, and our leaders? Thank you. Would you turn to two people right now and say, he reigns? Would you do that? He reigns. Jesus reigns. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. Today, this, this uh, time to share in that solidarity um, is, is something that, to me, connects directly to What we saw last Sunday is we looked at groundbreaking faith, and I want to talk to you today a little bit, focus a little of our time here together on the kind of faith that can flourish for our families. And as I think about this, (laughs) this has been a time of reflection to me that um, I've enjoyed because a discovery that I want to share with you briefly in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, you can turn to that illustrates um, this theme that I want to give you today in thinking about where we are as a nation. We are indeed in perilous times, of course, and we are also in a place in which some of the hardships and hurts that happen in families cause people to lose their way spiritually. And in the fourth chapter of Nehemiah, um, I want to reference quickly, but ask you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 in your Bible. Nehemiah is on the wall in the Old Testament, that time, that great time of rebuilding. And as the adversaries have risen up, just as we see today in so many areas in our culture where there is an open and hostile adversarial reaction against any mention of truth. And the war, the battle lines of the war for the souls of people in our country have sharpened and intensified astronomically in just the last few years. And in that day when Nehemiah was tasked with the 
rebuilding of the defenses of Jerusalem, I think there's a pretty clear parallel to our calling in rebuilding an understanding of what made America unique, what makes America stand apart in all the nations of the world. It's actually an understatement to speak of the, um, the exceptional nation. It's far more than exceptional. It's really unique in all of history. And Nehemiah and his story is a good parallel for our time because in the fourth chapter of that book, Nehemiah had rapidly mobilized people toward the rebuilding of those vital protective walls which were accomplished, that entire rebuilding accomplished in 52 days in a phenomenal feat of coordination and collaboration and teamwork. And it was right in the middle of that when Nehemiah was having his delegates, the people that were deputized to help people prepare for facing adversaries, that he placed fathers on the walls with a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other to spread mortar to build while holding the sword with eyes peeled across the horizon for adversaries. That's a great image for fathers today. And that's a great picture for mothers and fathers who understand what it means to literally be watchmen on the walls. Now, that 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 section I ask you to turn to is a great example of people under duress, people under times of persecution. In fact, the church at Thessalonica was birthed in a torrent of persecution against the apostles, and that uh, ongoing challenge to those who were worshiping and declaring Christ as King and Christ as Lord intensified in Thessalonica so that this letter of 1 Thessalonians happens to be most likely the first or second in chronological order of the writings in the New Testament. It was written very early, of the epistles that is, probably 51, 50 or 51 or 52 AD. And in that second chapter of 1 Thessalonians, Paul is writing this as a message back to a church that had been established in the midst of a time of great controversy and difficulty and conflict. And he describes something in verse 7 that is very interesting in light of this issue of families. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, where Paul describes his ministry to the believers in that city in two different images, both the feminine and the masculine. And first of all, the, the image of a nursing mother. Look at that seventh verse of 1 Thessalonians 2. Instead, we were like young children among you, just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. And then, speaking of his own hardships, not for the sake of sympathy by any means, but to help these believers understand, if you are following Christ, the joy and the glory of the eternal treasure is so far greater than we can imagine that it is 
worth, well worth, whatever hardship that we go through. So Paul, in a sense, in verse 9, is using his own life as kind of exhibit A to say, when you face troubles, remember this. 1 Thessalonians 2.9, surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Now just note briefly the seventh verse, the imagery of a mother nurturing her children, and the eleventh verse, the imagery of a father who is also in a symmetry of care, Father and mother, the imagery here is of that parenting responsibility that is completely one. It is completely unified toward the well-being and development and nurture and admonition of the children. And yet the imagery Paul chooses is to show that in a healthy church environment, there is both the maternal and the paternal aspect There's the mothering and the fathering, and the distinctions between the two have to do with bringing out the best in the lives of others. Now, in essence, what Paul has done here in this paragraph in verses 7 through 13 is is to show that a congregation, in this case in Thessalonica, that was started with a lot of trouble— Hold your finger in 1 Thessalonians and turn in your Bible over to Acts chapter 17. And just look at it for a moment and notice it so it's really vivid in our our thoughts what happened here in Acts chapter 17. You will see that in Acts chapter 17 verse 1, the apostle Paul and his companions came to this place called Thessalonica. Here's one of those cities they reached after that journey on the sea that we looked at last week with a quick glance at that map. As they crossed the Aegean Sea, made their way to Philippi, they were literally beaten in Philippi. They were flogged after their establishing of that new work. They were put into prison, and then God miraculously shook the foundations of that prison. The prison doors opened. Paul and Silas had been singing, praising, worshiping God in the midnight hour. And then they went on in their journey. And the trouble didn't stop. So later Paul would write to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.9, and he would say, Learn from this, Timothy, an enduring fact that all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Paul was unequivocal about the fact there will be some kind there will be some kind of trouble that at times you may look at and just find yourself baffled. Why is this opposition so fierce? But again, in Acts chapter 17, we see what happened to them became an object lesson in that Thessalonican letter that we're looking at. 
And we see that in verse 3 of Acts 17, Paul was explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few prominent women. But here's where the opposition arises. Look at that fifth verse of Acts 17. But other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed into Jason's house, the believer that was giving Paul and Silas and his companions respite and refreshment and hospitality. They rushed into Jason's house in search of him in order to bring him out to the crowd. When they did not find Paul and Silas, they dragged Jason and other believers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And what was the issue, just in a parallel fashion as it is today, what what was the issue that produced this drastic reaction of persecution? Verse 7 says that they were accused of defying Caesar's decrees. Why? Because they said there's another king, one named Jesus. Yes, it's true, friends. Today, though our story's different, though our circumstances are different, though our trouble is far different and far, 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 far less severe than what we've just prayed about for our Nigerian brothers and sisters under severe persecution by terrorists. The principle is the same. The principle is that when you bow your knee to the Lord Jesus and say, be Lord of my life, not only are you blessed with the assurance of a salvation, of a freedom of soul, of a forgiveness, of a gift of eternal life, of new life in Christ inside of you that, that can never be taken away, but also you are at that very moment in love for Christ, you're a living threat to the attitude of the world that wants to deify the self. Therefore, to say Jesus is Lord is not only defying our selfishness, it is also defying any governmental system that tries to put a government over, over the conscience and rule over the conscience of the individual. The uniqueness of America, the distinctives that make this exceptional nation what it is, is anchored in that, in that timeless truth of the inalienable right given by our Creator to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So again, there really is a parallel in saying Jesus is Lord means I bow to no government. I bow to no earthly ruler. I don't even bow to my selfishness. I bow to the King. And that is the troublemaking genius, if you will, of Acts chapter 17. Well, the reason I want to show, show that to you in your own Bible, and you can toggle there back to Thessalonians, is that this is a series of events here in that second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul that really shows us, and especially illuminated in Thessalonians, how to flourish in faith. We saw groundbreaking faith last week as a requirement, as a, as a result or a fruit of that 
internal working of the Holy Spirit from Romans 8, and it means that in every phase of our life where we're faced with new challenges, God gives each of us some step of faith to take. In fact, a week won't go by that you're not given, you and I are not given some step of faith that, that God gives us an opportunity to step out of our comfort zone and say, Lord, because I trust you, I'm going to, I'm going to boldly make this step of faith. But there are times when we get discouraged. We, get, we find ourselves facing hardships and difficulties. And particularly when it comes to the family, when it comes to our experiences in family life, many people find the fine edge of their enthusiasm beginning to kind of fade. Now, why would that be? Well, partly because, guess what? Families have frustrations and problems. Guess what? Most families have some oddity to them. Most families don't fit the template that many of us naturally think our family should fit. So once you even begin to open the door to thinking about family, many people have a mixed feeling of either embarrassment or some discomfort or something that's dissatisfying about their life experience. And because of that, the joy of being on fire for God can be affected negatively in a way that really should never happen. Now let me, get, let me stack together three Bible verses I think that help to kind of focus why this is important. One is Proverbs 24 verses 3 and 4. This is where the Bible refers to the developing of the, the total view of life from the view of the family as an illustration uh, compared to the, to the building of a house. By wisdom a house is built. By understanding, it is established. By knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasure. So God gives us this template, this understanding, that the family is a treasure and a treasury. And no matter what might be out of sync or not what is desired in your family, if you're a born-again child of God, you can bring your family experience to God and say, Lord, you love each individual in my family circle in a very unique and particular way, and you've placed each of us in families, not, not by accident, but by design. Amen? And that design means... That whatever kind of family situation I find myself in, even if it's been torn by hurt or conflict or disappointment or, or something that seems to not add up in my personal experience, it is your family, it is that very family that God gives you joy in nurturing and cultivating. Now the other verse I want to refer to here in light of that is what God said to, Jer to Abraham. God speaks about this issue of the family with 
first of all, that imagery of building by wisdom the house is built, through knowledge it's established, and its rooms are filled with beautiful treasures as understanding and knowledge and wisdom is invested in it. So when you think of it like this, we come into the Thanksgiving season, we come near to the beginning of the early phase of the holidays, and there is no single area of the Christian life where there's more of a need for an intentional act of loving investment than for people to love, nurture, care for, and bring the best in their family life. And one of the reasons that Abraham, in the covenant that God established with Abraham to be the father of many nations, was that there is a principle embedded in that, uh, in that experience of Abraham that we can identify with and draw to our own families. Now, it's a little bit unique in the way it's worded, obviously, because Abraham is a very unique character on the, on the great stage of, of, of redemptive history, but we can draw a principle from it. The Lord said to Abraham, should I hide what I'm about to do from Abraham? It's an interesting question, isn't it? God had something very unique that was needed to happen. We live in a time where we, as we pray for our country, we want to see God's will expressed and exemplified in the public arena, don't we? We want to see in this election week good things happen in our country. We want to be aware of what God is doing to change the lives of people. So in that limited sense, though Abraham's a unique character, of course, but in that limited sense, there's a parallel here. He said, shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? Let's translate it down into our lives. We can say, the Lord wants all of us to be actively praying for our country, actively praying for those situations around us. And it had, in Abraham's case, something to do with his family. What was that? God had given Abraham an opportunity, and obviously a pretty unusual family too, and he says about Abraham why he wanted Abraham to be aware, acutely aware of what was going on around him and what God was going to do. Why did he want Abraham watching and praying? Why did he want Abraham's eyes wide open? Because he said, I have chosen him so that he will command his children in his house after him. And would you read this part aloud with me from the word to keep? Read that part with me. To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. Would you read that aloud with me once again? To keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just. This is how the Lord will fulfill to Abraham what he promised. Now, Here's the problem that we have and the reason I think Abraham's such a good example. God had given Abraham a task that was a global impact. Eventually, we read it in the Gospels, don't we? The faith of Abraham finally is fulfilled in the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Romans 4 tells us that. So Abraham's faith was God's gift to a, to a world that existed 2,100 years before the birth of Jesus, but it was prophetic of a new life, of the coming of the kingdom. And yet God also 
had very specific plans for Abraham's unusual family. Now, can I just come up for air for a minute and ask you, how many of you would admit to me sometimes you think, my family's kind of unusual, or my family's a little unique, right? Now, what am I getting at here? 522 years ago, a a unique assignment was given to a young artist named Michelangelo. He loved painting better than he did sculpture, and yet Michelangelo's expertise had increased to the point that he was the only logical choice for a very, very unique assignment that two other sculptors had failed on. That was a giant piece of marble that was set apart for the crafting of the great statue of David. Eventually finished at 17 feet tall, about 10 tons in weight. And and Michelangelo worked on that project for quite a long time trying to conceive what would be the best way to give this piece of marble the imagery, the expression that it, that would eventually become this masterpiece on the world stage. And it's a terrible oversimplification, but for the sake of time, I have to put it this way, that when it was all said and done, that magnificent piece of art worth unimaginable amounts of money today, was the result, Michelangelo explained, of having approached the image that was in his brain, and because of the unique features of that particular boulder, where he could even see the bend of the arm of David and the sling in his hand and the direction that he would try to include into the posture that Michelangelo said, I simply worked on the image of David and chipped away everything that didn't look like David. But it became famous for the fact that that original piece had a particular jagged, irregular form to it that fit the goal of the great statue of David. Now, Many of us need to recapture the beauty of the gift of family that may feel at times like a jagged, irregular piece of rock. There is probably no one that has not at some point wondered about what is it, what is it about my family that makes, that adds difficulty in my life. I got to thinking about this mainly because in the Thanksgiving season, this is a prime time to recapture the beauty of the gift of your family uniquely given to you just as surely as Michelangelo was given this irregular, jagged piece of rock from which his endeavor his investment of time, energy, and talent would result in a magnificent masterpiece that shows the genius of the sculptor. Sometimes we get hampered by the irregularities of our families, and we look at it as an obstacle, whether it's singles or couples. 
the struggle for how can I see myself, how can I see God's purpose in my particular phase of life? Now, there are many scriptures that would apply to this, but one of the things that I notice is quite interesting is that the, the very nature of the family is a kind of a backstory throughout the Bible, but it's not the kind of thing that is showcased as some ideal picture of family. In fact, you will search in vain if you study your Bible. You will search in vain for an ideal family in the Bible. The families of the Bible, both the great heroes of the faith and the lesser knowns, were all odd, angular, jagged, irregular pieces of rock, just like your family, just like my family. And when we understand that God, some things we look at as a liability. Oh, I was abandoned as a child. Oh, there was a divorce in my past. Oh, there was a deeply disappointing situation with an adult son or, or daughter. Oh, there's a broken relationship. There's a loved one that refuses to talk to anybody else in the family. That's, that's a reality that many people face. And it can feel like just a sort of negligible distraction in life that sometimes drains our energy and brings fresh hurt to our hearts. And yet it may just seem like it has nothing to do with anything in my walk with God. But no, 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 no. No, God doesn't make mistakes in the people He places around us. I love the verse in Psalm 68 where the Bible says he takes the fatherless and puts them in families. Now God masterfully shapes our lives in such a way that in every problem of life we can bring the full payload of gospel grace into situations that feel angular, jagged, irregular, sometimes shattered, sometimes broken. Now, 1 Timothy 5 speaks of special care and attention given to widows. Ephesians 5 speaks of the unique beauty and responsibility that wives and husbands have to love one another with a self-sacrificial love and to cooperate and coordinate and to synchronize their lives in such a way that the treasure that comes out of it is exactly what we saw as we started here, and that is the illustrations. As we close, look at that in your own Bible there at 1 Thessalonians 2. These two illustrations we saw are vividly something we can apply to our families in the Thanksgiving season. That is the illustration of a nursing mother and a father with children. On the one hand, this parallels Ephesians 6.4 that speaks of raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. On the one hand, every family can benefit from a spirit-filled child of God who reaches out to that family in such a way as to say, above all, I want to nurture, develop, the qualities of 
shared love and forgiveness and purpose that any mom instinctively brings in the lives of her children. And on the fathering side, I add to that, I overlay with that. They're not in, they're not in competition, they're, they're, uh, they're complementary. I overlay with that the firmness, the resolve, maybe the extra element of discipline that helps a child raise the bar in their behavior or their attitudes or their actions. But if we put these together, these illustrations give us a template for what God said about Abraham. I know Abraham will love and nurture and care for and direct his children in such a way that they'll be equipped not only to know right from wrong, but they'll equip, be equipped to be influencers for the glory of Almighty God. I'm going to ask you to pray with me, and as we do, just a simple takeaway, a take-home would be, can I bring to my family, my unique family, with whatever jagged, irregular pieces of rock are a part of my family experience, with whatever dysfunctional relationships there may be, with whatever closed, slammed doors that have been closed maybe for months, maybe for years with some family member, and we say, God, you made no mistake when you placed me in this family and if you're in a parental or a guiding responsibility placing you over that family. But most of us have some blend of that. We're, we're partly responsible, but we're partly not responsible. So the Lord gives us a picture. How can I carry this nurturing like a mother, a mother tenderly developing and, and always being there with that warm affection, no matter what challenge that child is facing at any phase of their development, and then that father who as well is alongside, as Paul portrayed the apostolic vision, that we're there to exhort, to encourage, to challenge you, to be there for you, and to urge you on. Lord, help us to take the mothering and the fathering roles of passionate prayer to the families we love and invest in this Thanksgiving season in bringing the best, the best, the best out of our loved ones. And, and, and to those maybe where a door is completely slammed shut, give us the grace to pray confidently that the grace of God can pour through those channels and bring an opening and a softening of heart. In Jesus' name, amen.